Well, good morning, Premier Smith. Thank you for having us here today. Merry Christmas from all the staff at the Western Standard. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Albertans care a lot about three things, their health, their children, and, of course, their energy security, which Mm -hmm. you've been very strong on. I guess there's now a fourth one. They care about their cars, whether they're even going to be able to drive one or buy one. Uh, We've... um, We've seen your tweets on the matter. We heard what you said yesterday in the press release, but um, nobody wants to be 100 miles from home in an electric vehicle and get home and find that the heat and the power are off. So it, all of this seems to go beyond a federal attack on Alberta's energy industry, which we all acknowledge. It's true to liberal policy. It's now looking like an attack on the way we live. I have to tell you... Um Environment Minister Stephen Guibault is 99% ideologue. There is no pragmatism at all in him. And I, you know, I'd hoped when I got elected that I'd be able to work collaboratively with the federal government, and we have on a number of things. But I can tell you that my experience with him, as same with the, my counterparts in other provinces, same with industry associations, is that he comes in knowing what he wants to do, takes uh, no input or advice, and then unilaterally issues pronouncements. And I I have to tell you, um, I I don't know how we're going to be able to continue working with this environment minister. I think for a reset, we need to see a new environment minister because he's not just coming for the oil and gas industry, Mm -hmm. although I've I've been warning of that. Uh, he had put forward a policy to also come after our food production. And I think that this, uh, this credit system that he's putting together for belching and farting cattle is probably one foray into starting to regulate seriously our food production. But now he's going after the auto manufacturers too in Ontario. So I, I think that we were the, the first test case about how much he could get passed. But every single industry is going to be at risk as long as he's environment minister. The Premier, do you think it would be, suppose that Mr. Trudeau took him out of the cabinet and put somebody else there, do you think it would be different? This is what they've wanted to do all along. It's tough for me to say because I, I have talked with, for instance, Christia Freeland, and uh, she is she's supported the approach of taking a carbon capture utilization and storage tax credit. She announced it just before, uh, for, before COP. Um, she's having a press conference Uh, Today, with my environment minister announcing contracts for differences, she understands that we've got to work collaboratively on that. Minister Champagne as well. He's worked with us on um, our products and uh, the Dow Chemical Petrochemical announcement, as well as de Havilland, making sure that that those projects got to the finish line. And he celebrates those successes in our province just as much as he would any other province. So so I I see that there is a difference between some of these ministers. But Guibault is an ideologue, and I don't quite understand why it is the, um, the Liberal cabinet is giving him the latitude to be so damaging, because he is damaging. He's um, damaging to national unity. He's flouting the law, so he's damaging to our understanding of mm-hmm. how the, the, the courts are our referee, and he's ignoring them. He's damaging as well to, uh, to, to uh, consumers. He's damaging to every industry that I can see. And the poll results are showing it. The, the Liberals are sinking like a stone, and, uh, and almost all of that hinges on the terrible policies that they're allowing their environment minister to announce. Well, let's go to the courts, as you mentioned them. Can you sketch out how all of this could unfold? I mean, is it going to be something that you do that they sue you, or is it something that they do 
and you sue them and hold up the sovereignty act. How does this? How does this work out? Well, let's. I'll work it through on a couple of things. So, for instance, on the uh, clean electricity regs, we've just yes. said we're, we're just not going to uh, to follow them. We're, we've, uh, we're going to make sure that none of our um, entities that are under our control uh, abide by those rules. And if we need to be the generator of last resort, we will. So that means that we will commission new natural gas fired uh, mm -hmm. facilities. We will do best available technology on emissions reduction, which is in the order of 60% right now, not 95%. And I suppose uh, they can either take us to court to try to shut us down, or the, they'll put us in jail in 2035. I don't know which, which one it's going to be, but we will make sure that our natural gas gets, gets produced. Because what I've begun to understand about their approach is they're taking advantage of our private sector, taking advantage of our free market um, uh, approach in our province, because they create uncertainty and then business investors, business leaders say, ooh, it's too much uncertainty, I don't want to invest. Well, we have to then step in and de-risk that. And if it means that we uh, provide that certainty, that those are going to get built, then that's what we're going to do. So that's how we'll deal with electricity. When it comes to cars, all I can tell people is that they, if they want to buy a car, they better buy it now. Because I think that by 2026, we'll be seeing rationing. That the, uh, the manufacturers have told me that the only way they can meet these targets is that they have to reduce the amount of gas-fired vehicles they make available to sale so that it matches what they're allowed to produce under electric vehicles. So you think about that. In Alberta, we normally purchase 200,000 cars a year. Uh, we're purchasing less than 2,000 electric vehicles. So if we only purchase 2,000 electric vehicles, and that has to be 20% of the market, it means we're only going to be allowed to buy 8,000 gas-powered vehicles. So I suppose by sometime in January, uh, everybody who walks into the into the uh, a dealership is going to be told, sorry, sign up for next year because we don't have any more cars to sell you. So we're going to have to become expert at, uh, at repairing vehicles. I don't know if we'll have to find some way of being able to source them uh, abroad and bring them into uh, to Alberta. But this is a recipe to shut down the traditional auto sector that is centered well, You must have a, a natural ally in the Premier of Ontario. I've, uh, I've encouraged um, Premier Ford and on his and the Ontario government to stand up and take a hard stance on this. And I understand that they're moving towards electric vehicles. That, that's perfectly fine, but you have to move forward at a pace that you can achieve. Yeah. We have critical minerals that have to be mined to be able to make the batteries, battery plants that have to be built, assembly lines that have to be retooled. We have to see the demand go up. We've got to build out electric charging stations. We've got to uh, upgrade the grid. We've got to install electric charging stations in people's homes. That can't be done in two years' time. And so at some point, you have to say that reality has got to set in here. So I'm just preparing people for the fact that that's, that's one that um, I don't have an answer for. Uh, I can't use the Sovereignty Act on that because we don't have manuf car manufacturers in Alberta. Yeah. And so um, so people are going to have to, to figure out how to make their cars last longer if, uh, if those rules go into effect. Uh, when it comes to the emissions cap, I believe that uh, they have no, it's, it's pretty clear the way that they're implementing that. It's a production cap. And they've been, they've been uh, almost frank about that by saying mm -hmm. that they think that my aspiration to increase our production and reduce emissions doesn't work. That, that implies then that they think the only way to reduce emissions is to reduce production. And they can't do that. They can't pass a law unilaterally on a single industry centered in our province to, to, sh to shut in production. So that will result in some, uh, some challenges, some constitutional challenges as well. We've already announced so yesterday. So it's their action that will, and you will ignore it, and so they will come after you. 
the, uh, I think what we'll, we'll have to, uh, there's a few things that we'll have to do on that one as well because we, we, I have to do a little bit more work. The problem with, with legal challenges, and they know this too, the problem with legal challenges is that you can't do them until the law is passed because look what happened with the plastics challenge as mm -hmm. a for instance. Um, the companies put forward the challenge, we joined into it, and we won, but there was another piece of legislation that they changed after the action commenced, and so that part still stands. Like, they understand how to work the system so that you have to appeal over and over again, it takes years to resolve it, it creates all of this uncertainty, and they're just trying to wait us out. But we announced yesterday, we're, we're gonna meet them in court. They, they should acknowledge that plastics are not toxic, Plastics are an essential part of, all, of everyday life and everything, and almost every action that we take in every industry that we have. And so uh, they don't have any jurisdiction to, to declare that toxic and to, and to phase it out. And I hope that we keep, we keep on winning in court. But, but the real problem is a government that doesn't follow the rules. Um, even, even when they lose, they act as if those decisions hadn't happened. And that's a, a broader conversation that we need to have as Canadians. Mm -hmm. What do we do about a federal government that, uh, that doesn't follow the law? Love to have that broader conversation with you another time. Um, Premier, there were certain policies that you advanced when you were seeking the leadership mm -hmm. of the party. I'd like to ask you how committed you still are to the provincial police force, to uh, some kind of protection of conscience for people faced with the arbitrary actions of health departments. And of course, uh, I've got a very particular question on the Alberta pension plan, but is the police force gonna happen? I would say what, what you're seeing is that we're giving more and more policing functions to our sheriffs. And as a result, we're, we're going to, to likely have to codify that in, uh, in, in law in the new year. So you'll see a little bit more uh, on that. But I think that when we're seeing holes, we're going to fill them. Whether it's we need to deploy sheriffs to work with the Edmonton Police Service in order to address some of the public disorder that we're seeing there. Whether it's dedicated fentanyl units or uh, 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 warrant um, uh, or going after uh, uh, those on, on, on warrants or whether it's uh, managing our borders. Those are, uh, those are things that we're asking our sheriffs to do, and we're increasing their training so that they can take on equivalent to policing roles. So that's the approach that we're taking. We've also told all of the municipalities, do a policing study. Do, do your own assessment about what the best policing option is for you. And when Grand Prairie did that, they came back and said, you know what, it makes more sense for us to have our own municipal police. And so we're helping them transition in that. And there's a, a, over a dozen other municipalities who have taken us up on the offer to do a study. So we're, we're going to have a number of different policing options and we want it all to be municipally led. Okay, well let's switch to the Alberta pension plan. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, Mr. Poliver, leader of the official opposition, has come out and taken very much the same position with you. He said he would actually scrap this whole regulation on electric vehicles if he became prime minister. You're in sync on that. However, if the good people of Alberta uh, tell you to go ahead with the Alberta pension plan, that's going to cost the Canada pension plan a lot of money and it won't help Mr. Poliver win votes in Ontario by telling voters they have to pay higher premiums because of those people in Alberta. On the other hand, it's very tempting. It's going to be valuable to Alberta to have a more sympathetic government in Ottawa, so you don't want to hurt his chances. <laughs> How are two, Canada's two most conservative, ideologically in sync 
senior politicians going to work out that one? Well, look, I mean, Albertans haven't told me that they even want to have a referendum yet. Uh, they want to they see do. they want to see more information. They want to see what the asset transfer is going to be. And they want to understand a little bit more about what their contributions would be, what their benefits would be, and what portability looks like. So we're still in, very much in the consultation phase. And what I've said is that this is a decision for Albertans. And if Albertans give me the indication that they want to put it to a vote, we'll put it to a vote. And if they vote in favor, then then we'll take the action. But we're a, a few steps away from even getting to, to that final decision. Yes, I bet they're watching it very carefully in Conservative <laughs> Party headquarters. All right, well, uh, if we have this talk in a year's time and things go your way, what, other than a successful defense against federal intrusion, will be your government's key accomplishments. Let's start with health. We've got the argument of a restaffing key positions. We understand that. But these people walk into the same situations, the same committees, the same staff, same union contracts that those departing created. How are these new people going to change things in a way that the client of the system, let's call them clients, not patients, the client of the system is going to recognize. Well, here's what, what I want us to achieve. If we're talking about where I want us to be, I hope it's there within a year, but certainly by the time we go into re-election, every single Albertan should have a family practitioner, whether that's a doctor or a nurse practitioner. And that will take a lot of pressure off our healthcare system because there will be a medical professional that you can go to for your mm -hmm. needs rather than having to go to an emergency room as the first source. The second thing that we will have is that there will be no red alerts and no long lineups of, of ambulances waiting to drop off patients at hospital um, emergency rooms. We had solved that problem in April. There was a little bit of regression, but because I've seen that we can do it, we're going to do it again. We're going to make sure that our paramedics are used to their full service so that they, again, feel valued. Third thing is that we're going to make sure that we have no one who uh, needs to be in long-term care sitting in an acute care bed right now. And it's been the case for the past year, there's always about 500 or more uh, individuals who are waiting for placement in long-term care. Meanwhile, we've got vacancies in long-term care. If you move those 500 patients along, that frees up those acute care beds and improves improves flow through the, the hospitals. Well, with all due respect, we had that conversation a year ago. I know. Uh, is it happening? That's why we have new management. Um, because we didn't make enough progress on those things. I, we know what, this, what the problems are, and now we need some solutions. It's why we needed to have a separate uh, entity that is going to take care of continuing care. Finally, on, uh, on surgeries, we, we want every single person who is awaiting surgery to, to be able to be treated within a medically reasonable period of time. And so we were making some progress on that. It's stalled, but with our um, combination of increasing capacity at uh, HS-run hospitals, Covenant Health-run hospitals, as well as our charter uh, charter uh, surgical centers, I'm, I'm feeling like we'll be able to achieve that too. So it's a tall order. I understand that, but it's also the most important role for government. It's almost um, oh, it's 40 percent or more of our budget. So we've got to make sure that we we get it right. So okay. look, I, what I'd say on this is that we know that the system was underperforming from almost the moment this health super board was created. And yet it's been successive premiers and successive health ministers not willing to take it on. Um, I've, I've taken it on. My first uh, stab at reform didn't move as fast as I wanted it to. And so now mm -hmm. we have a, a second stab at it. 
And I can tell you, myself and my health minister are highly motivated to solve these problems. A second step. One last thing, Premier. Alberta, everybody knows Alberta has no sales tax. Alberta should have no gasoline tax. Come on, it's Christmas. What about it? Well, our fuel tax has always been connected to our, uh, our transportation projects. And in fact, when we put the reprieve on fuel taxes, I had people say, how are we going to pay for all these roads we need? We have about 160 plus road projects that come in. Uh, the real issue is the federal government should stop layering taxes on. They have a 14.3% tax on us because of the a carbon tax. They also have an excise tax and they charge GST on top of all of that. And those are the things that we've been asking for them to, to, to uh, take a back seat on because our fuel tax is actually going to the things that people really want, which is to be able to continue with the road projects, especially with the kind of growth that we've got. How true. Merry Christmas Merry to Christmas. you and David and all your stuff. Thanks, Nigel. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.